Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown and beyond. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. I'm thrilled to be with you. I've already had a fun day today. I joined my pals Hammer and Nigel and uh, some other great WIBC folks out at a fundraiser for veterans put on by uh, the Warrior Breed Motorcycle Club. And I've known a bunch of these guys forever. Uh, I've got a pal, uh, Jeff Sampson, who's a member, and, and he's a great guy and a member of the 2A Project who shows up at the State House when we're fighting for your Second Amendment rights. And that's the kind of guys uh, that you have in the Warrior Breed Motorcycle Club. Uh, they're almost all veterans. I asked that question today, and apparently they have one guy they let in uh, who's not a veteran who must be a pretty awesome dude. But uh, they're all about raising money uh, primarily for veterans' causes, and that's what we did at Don Hines Ford today in Fishers. And and given that cause, I mean, you know, I, I talk here about the Blazer 88 ride. It's my favorite uh, group ride of the year. Uh, it's in August. Uh, you can find information. Just Google Blazer 88 ride. It's also a fundraiser for veterans, just like the event was today. But this was a motorcycle show and car show. And... Uh, they had a food truck out there. Again, it was in uh, Don Hines' big parking lot there at Don Hines Ford and Fishers off 126th Street. And it, it was fun. It was really awesome. I almost put my old 25-year-old fat boy in the in the bike show because um, it's, it's really old, but it's still kind of cute. Not unlike me, Carl. I mean, really ancient, but still kind of cute. Uh, but at any rate, uh, the judging wasn't going on until a little bit later, and I had other stuff to do, and uh, and so I, I didn't enter my show in the bike show. But um, so uh, Representative Jim Lucas brought his awesome metric cruiser out with a really cool uh, U.S. Marine uh, custom paint job on it. Uh, got to talk to a lot of guys, saw some beautiful motorcycles, saw some really neat cars, as I uh, I'm a car guy as well. So I got to spend most of the day on the Harley. And uh, it's just been a really fun day. Parked it on the circle, by the way. If you're out in front of the studios on Monument Circle, you see really cute old fat boy sitting out there. Take good care of it for me. Uh, don't let IMPD do anything uh, awkward with my motorcycle. And uh, uh, I'll be out there checking it between <laughs> between 5 and 6 o'clock when we take a break. But anyway, it's a neat day, neat cause. Uh, and, and look for other events, fundraising events, by a really good group of veterans. Uh, the Warrior Breed Motorcycle Club, and uh, thanks to Hammer and Nigel, they they were the uh, obvious main attraction out there. Uh, but uh, I saw they were having that event. I talked about it on Hammer and Nigel when I filled in 
uh, for Jason Hammer on Tuesday, and I immediately got excited. You know, it was a nice day, a little bit brisk this morning, but that's all right. It's a little excuse to break out the leather, and uh, and just had a really fun day. So now uh, I'm excited to come down here and do radio. We've got a lot to talk about. We want to take your calls throughout the show. Uh, I still say, I'm with a possible exception of the Home and Garden Show. We're the only show here on The Gun Guy where we take calls throughout the entire duration of our show, and we're a lot more interesting than the Home and Garden Guy I might have thrown out as well. Uh, but uh, you can give us a call throughout the show, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. And raise your Second Amendment-related questions, comments. Uh, we always invite input from our listeners, uh, and we enjoy it as well. You can see the video of the show uh, live. More or less live. It looks to be maybe a five-second, ten-second delay. Uh, but it's on YouTube. Go to YouTube, search for WIBC, and uh, you'll see the Gun Guy Show right there. You can click on that and watch a live video feed. And I believe producer Carl has that up on the WIBC Facebook page as well. So in the meantime, we want to get into what's going on out there in the world of Second Amendment advocacy and certainly the efforts by those out there who would uh, strip us of our constitutional rights altogether. And probably an event that happened this last week, happened on Wednesday, that's gotten a lot of the gun control proponents, a lot of the gun control advocates really excited, and I think unnecessarily so, which I'll get into here in some detail. But an event that happened is that, first of all, there was an Illinois assault weapon ban, quote-unquote, and whatever I use that term, I'll have people uh, send me comments on Facebook or on the YouTube chat feature. By the way, that's one thing about YouTube. If you're watching the show uh, by video, there's a chat feature, and, and, and I usually keep an eye on that. In fact, last week live during the show, I was responding to some of those chat comments. But uh, what happened? It, oh, well, I started to say an assault weapon ban. And what I always hear, whether it's comments on Facebook or otherwise, People come on and say, no, what's an assault weapon? There's no such thing. There's no such term. There's no such definition. Well, I, I agree with you in the sense that, quote, unquote, assault weapon is a made-up political term. If you, if you listen to the Gun Guy show for any length of time at all, you've heard me say that multiple, multiple times. Although it is a complete, it, it was completely inaccurate to say there's no definition. Because in 1994, when we had a so-called assault weapon ban, that bill, that law, because it was in effect from 2000, excuse me, from 1994 to 2004, it had a definition of the, the, the firearms they were talking about. It was a really stupid definition, don't get me wrong. And it basically named a bunch of cosmetic features that if a semi-automatic rifle, and in that case, a pistol or shotgun as well, uh, had certain cosmetic features, really scary features like a pistol grip or a barrel shroud. I always laugh at that one. What's a barrel shroud? It's a piece of metal that basically keeps you from burning yourself on a barrel. What the hell does that have to do with the lethality, you know, the dangerousness, quote-unquote, they always want to talk about when it comes to firearms? It has nothing to do with any of that. Uh, or a flash suppressor. Egads, now it's an assault weapon. I mean, it's a dumb definition, don't get me wrong, but the people who want to take them away from us can certainly define them because they have. They have repeatedly. And there, there was a bill that passed the House last Congress 
got sent over to the Senate, didn't get a vote in the Senate, but they sure as hell had a definition of assault weapon. So don't fool yourself. Because a lot of us like to say, and it's absolutely true, to say it's a made-up political term that's nonsensical. But when it comes to defining those firearms that they want to ban, they're fully capable of defining the firearms. And what they've done in the last few so-called assault weapon bans, they've just named them by name. I'm talking make and model. And there's this big, long list of firearms saying, here's what we're talking about. In addition to naming these features of a semi-automatic firearm that make it an assault weapon, they'll say including specifically the following models. And they've gone through and tried to name every AK, every AR by make, model, and, and, and other information to try to define what they're talking about so that the, the attack on their bills, on their proposed laws as being uh, too vague and too undefined uh, won't hold up to the extent they've named specific models that they're banning. They don't really know why they're banning them. They don't understand the technology, and none of it makes any sense, but they certainly are able to define them. Well, the state of Illinois and several cities and, and or villages, as they call them in, in Illinois, have banned so-called assault weapons. And what happened this last week is there is a litigation that was filed in district court in, in federal court in Illinois. And the plaintiff in that case has the unfortunate name of Beavis. But uh, Beavis versus state of Illinois and the city of Naperville, which has its own assault weapon ban, a gentleman named Beavis sued them and said this is unconstitutional and violates the Second Amendment. And with the decision we got last year from the U.S. Supreme Court, and I talk about this case all the time because it, it really is a game changer. It is absolutely fundamentally a game changer. But the decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin creates a new definition, a new test that the Supreme Court said shall be applied by all other courts in deciding whether an attack on the Second Amendment is constitutional or not, an attack on gun rights is constitutional or not. And it's a very, very well-stated lawsuit. It's a very strong lawsuit. And in my mind, there's a very, very high chance that if this particular lawsuit ends up in the Supreme Court and is decided on the merits, meaning the full decision of all the issues in the lawsuit, <coughs> including the primary issue, which is, is this law constitutional or not, as violating the Second Amendment, that Mr. Beavis is going to win his lawsuit, and that statute will be declared unconstitutional. But what happened this week is that after first, at the lower courts, the district court went Beavis's way, and what he's asking for is a decision that the law is unconstitutional, but he also asked for an injunction, including a preliminary injunction, meaning that there be an order from the court telling the state of Illinois and any other cities within Illinois, you cannot enforce this law while the case is being litigated in full. They wanted an injunction so that the ban would be set aside at least temporarily while the full case was being decided, and then it could, there could be a permanent injunction after the case is decided on the merits. 
They asked for an injunction. The, the, the lower court, the district court, granted that injunction. The Seventh Circuit, though, came back, and that's the appellate court that the district court then uh, is part of. The Seventh Circuit. By the way, Seventh Circuit is, is something for us to be watching very carefully because the Indiana and the, the federal district courts in Indiana are in the Seventh Circuit as well. The Seventh Circuit said, well, no, we're going to decide the appeal, but we don't agree that there should be an injunction preventing enforcement of the law while the case is being litigated. So they declined to stop enforcement of the law until the case is decided on the merits. The plaintiffs then, Mr. Beavis, asked the U.S. Supreme Court to stand in and say, oh, no, we need an emergency injunction, ask the Supreme Court of the United States to issue this injunction to halt enforcement of the law while the case is being litigated. And on Wednesday, the Supreme Court of the United States, through Justice Amy Coney Barrett, declined to issue that injunction, that emergency injunction, telling the lower courts and telling the state of Illinois they cannot enforce this law while the case is being litigated. So what happened? The, the anti-gun people, the anti-Second Amendment people, were like singing and dancing in the streets. Aha! The Supreme Court finally issues an anti-gun ruling. They're, they're supporting gun control. Clearly, the Supreme Court is going to rule for the state of Illinois and uphold this assault weapon ban. We'll be able to ban these evil assault weapons forever because the Supreme Court denied this preliminary injunction. Is that really what this means? And is there really cause for celebration by the anti-2A people out there. I mean, the Gifford campaign, the Moms Demand Action, the Bloomberg organizations, we're, again, celebrating. Aha! Supreme Court finally rules the right way on the 2A. Should they be celebrating? That's what we'll get into when we come back. I'm going to continue to take your calls, your questions, and comments. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. We're taking a break. We'll be right back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. Broadcasting here live from the beautiful downtown Radio One studio. I always want to say Emmis, but uh, we're Radio One now, and uh, a little different ownership. I- I've noticed. I've noticed a damn thing change, other than uh, the name on my very modest paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> but, but other than that, Carl like that one. Um, other than that, man, it seems to be business as usual down here. But it's great to be downtown. Park my uh, park my old red fat boy right out on the circle in front of the. Studio. Carl looked at me like I was crazy when I told you. I told him I parked down there. So if you're down there, uh, listening on your uh, on your motorcycle radio or on your phone, uh, take good care of the the good looking red one down there. I'll be down to check on it between uh, the five and six o'clock hours. But in the meantime, we're talking about this case where the Supreme Court uh, denied an emergency injunction, and the question is. You know, should the gun control advocates really be as excited as apparently they are? I mean, they were doing a victory lap. Aha! Supreme Court's going to rule in the gun control advocates' favor, and they're going to allow a banning of assault weapons, which should give Congress a lot of confidence in passing a similar ban. That's what you're hearing. Well, is that really what this means? No, absolutely not. 100% not. Anybody really understands the litigation process and understands how the Supreme Court works would understand this is really not a time for 
anyone to be dancing in the streets thinking they're going to finally ban the most common rifles in America. And here's why. The request for injunctions and the request for emergency injunctions, that's something that the Supreme Court very, very rarely does. The Supreme Court also doesn't really like to take cases and make rulings on cases without a fully developed record, meaning the case has been fully litigated in the lower courts to where they, they are dealing with decisions on the merits. They're dealing with a specific legal analysis that the Supreme Court can then rule on, not only in terms of the outcome, but in terms of the process, the analysis, the reasoning that the lower courts went through to reach the conclusion that they reached. And it's just step in and say, yes, we're going to issue an injunction and stop the enforcement of this law is not something the Supreme Court is, is, is prone to do. They deny an incredibly large percentage of these. Where they might be interested is where there's some kind of immediate harm where something really horrific is going to happen unless they step in. Here, you're dealing with a law where people that have these guns can keep them in Illinois under their law. They can't transfer them. They can't take them out of their homes except to take them to a gun range. The only exception to the fact that they can't transfer them is if it's part of an inheritance. So other than that, until you die, you can't transfer your gun to anyone else. And no one can sell them, including retail stores. So what are they going to do? They're going to, in their minds, slowly eradicate them because nobody can buy new ones. Nobody can sell the ones they already have. And you can only keep them within your family through a lawful inheritance to your heirs. So eventually the plan is to do away with them altogether through that sort of war of attrition. But in the meantime, people are hanging on to the guns they have under this ban. And I'm sure that was a big part of the Supreme Court saying, hold on, there's not this irreparable injury. That's a term you use a lot when you're arguing over injunctions in court. There's an irreparable injury that cannot be made, where a person cannot be made whole through money damages. There's irreparable harm that cannot be addressed later on. And there's a successful, or at least, excuse me, there's a high degree of success on the merits. They have to find each of those things. For any court to issue an injunction and to issue an emergency injunction makes it even more rare for the Supreme Court. So what the Supreme Court here really did is said, no, we're not going to take a look at this now. We're going to take a look at this once it's fully litigated in the lower courts. And once the lower courts resolve the issue, and they show us not only the conclusion they reached, but the analysis they went through to get there. Because the Supreme Court will, do, will issue decisions, for instance, where they say, well, the lower courts were right, but not for the reasons they thought. <laughs> not for the reasons they said. You applied the wrong test, you reached the right outcome, but here's the right test. Here, the test that the Supreme Court ultimately will apply when it does address a, a, a so-called assault weapon ban, and they will, make no mistake, Supreme Court is going to take this case eventually. You have a justice in Justice Brent Kavanaugh who's already written an opinion for when he was on the D.C. Circuit 
He's already written an opinion that says that assault and ban is unconstitutional. And there, he was just using the analysis from back in D.C. versus Heller, issued in 2008, that simply said they're commonly used for lawful purposes. It's the most commonly owned, used rifle in America. Of course, it's commonly used for lawful purposes, which the Heller case said is protected by the Second Amendment. Here now, you have Heller compounded by the decision in the Bruin case that says there's no balancing, there's no test, there's, there, there's, there's no balancing as between some so-called compelling state interest in like, oh, keeping people safe, that's what they always say, and constitutional rights. And where there's a compelling state interest, and it's just kind of a little bit of an infringement, Obviously, that's not the exact legal analysis, but that's really the way it works out. Yeah, there's some infringement there, but it's, oh, not so bad. And there's a compelling state interest. That balancing comes out. Courts will uphold, under the prior test, will uphold that infringement of the, of the Second Amendment. Supreme Court, in the Bruin case just last year, threw that out the window. That's gone. What do they say now? No. You look at the text, the text history, and tradition of a particular constitutional freedom. I hear the Second Amendment. What does it say? What does it mean? Well, the Heller case told, it what it, told us what it means. And then what's the history and the tradition of what laws have been upheld? In other words, to support an assault weapon ban, the state of Illinois is going to have to go in there and say, oh, there's a long history and tradition of banning entire classes of firearms, including the most commonly owned rifles in America, dating back to before the founding of this country. How do you think they're going to fare on that? They're going to get their ass kicked. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So when the case ultimately is ruled on on the merits, you're going to see a much different outcome. In the meantime, if you hear gun control advocates celebrating, praising the Supreme finally a good decision from the Supreme Court. That's not what this means. That's not what this means. There will be a decision, but it's going to be, and I predicted right here on the Gun Guy Show, and hey, producer Carl, post these, you can record it, you can keep it for all posterity, when the Supreme Court rules on a so-called assault up and ban, it'll be a hell of a lot different. And that's going to be a ruling that sticks because it's going to be a decision on the merits. In the meantime, we're a little past the bottom of the hour. We're taking a break. We'll come back. We'll go to the phone lines. A lot of people have called in, got different questions, uh, a lot of varied questions, but it's a good it's a good uh, transition point, so we'll go back, go to the phone lines and take calls when we come back. In the meantime, join the discussion, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93WI. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it, but make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7, IBC. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. 
Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And uh, it's a great Saturday afternoon. A little brisk this morning. I'll tell you what, I left my house about 9.30 this morning on the Harley. <laughs> I was I was glad I had the leather jacket on. And uh, it was just a little bit cold. But hey, that's, that's fun. It's fun to break out the leather. I was kind of laughing. In fact, I took a picture. I, uh, I realized I, I got to the event again. Uh, totally fun event put on by the the Warrior Breed Motorcycle Club at Don Hines Ford today. Hammer and Nigel were the main attractions, and it, I, it was fun for me to be there and uh, support what they were trying to do to raise money for veterans. But at one point, I I took a picture of my my old leather jacket, a motorcycle jacket, hanging on the on the mirror of my of my bike, and so yeah, it's kind of fun when you got a thirty year old jacket hanging on a twenty five year old motorcycle. <laughs> Just it, it gave me a it gave me a smile because uh, it's all stuff I've had for a long time. But in the meantime, uh, we've had a lot of people call in. Oh, a whole bunch of people. Carl, you've been busy over there, brother. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. We got a bunch of people who have called in. Let's start getting through these calls. Our pal Buzz is called. Buzz, how you doing, man? Real good. How you doing, guy good, and good, the whole two A project nation? Yeah, you okay. go. Thank you for that. Yes. Okay. Uh I think we need to get A. G. Rakita to put in for a cease and resist against the FCC to stop the coding on the credit cards in the banks. The banks are now trying to weasel their way out of being associated with that. So, yeah, yeah, and, and just for our, and it's not FCC buzz, but I can, I can tell you exactly what's going on, and 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 you're you're right uh, to be concerned about this issue. Uh, but let me let me let me tell folks what exactly we're talking about here. Um, last year, at the urging of a number of Gun control proponents. We're talking about pro-gun control or anti-Second Amendment members of Congress, and we're talking about groups like Moms Demand and and uh, the Gifford Center and the Brady Campaign and all usual suspects. They actually went to an organization called the International Organization for Standardization, and this is inter- it, just, as the name suggests, it's international, and they do things like establish coding processes for using credit cards. For instance, now, if you use your credit card at a grocery store, there's a code that says you're spending money at a grocery store. And there are certain credit cards, for instance, and and my wife's uh, accounts, where she banks, and I guess that means where I bank, now that I think about it, Um, but she can get, as part of her statement, an actual breakdown. You spent this much money at retail clothing stores, you spent this much money at grocery stores, you spent this much money elsewhere. And it helps people manage their money, is the idea. Well, these gun control folks went to this organization that creates these codes, 
and said, we need a code anytime anybody uses a credit or a debit card at a gun store, at a licensed retailer. In other words, a federal firearms licensee, as we call them. And so we need a code so we can track suspicious pur- purchases and perhaps identify a mass shooter. Here's how ridiculous that is. What this does is it says, okay, let's say I go in and I buy a $2,000 gun safe at Indie Arms or at my pals out at Premier Firearms in Brownsburg. I spend $2,000 and I buy a gun safe. The only thing this coding process does is it says Guy Relford spent $2,000 at Premier Arms. That's all it tells him. It could be $2,000 in T-shirts that say Premier Arms on them. It could be $2,000 in ammo because I'm taking a bunch of firearms classes or I'm teaching a bunch of firearms classes. Or it could be two AR-15s, really nice AR-15s for that amount of money. It doesn't tell anybody what you bought. So here's what they're doing through this. They're trying to set up a system where the credit card companies, and there are, we already know there are banks and credit card companies out there that despise your Second Amendment rights. Chase Bank is famous for here recently for just shutting down the accounts of people involved in the firearm industry, just saying we don't want to do business with you anymore. They're trying to set up a system where the credit card processors can simply decline the purchase. No, we don't want a credit card with our name on it being used at a gun store. They're trying to create a system, and this and this is ex- all part of and a follow-on from, it's probably a better way to say it, of what they called Operation Choke Point, which came out during the Obama administration. They said, we're going to attack the gun industry through financial institutions. We're going to say insurance companies shouldn't insure gun manufacturers. We're going to say banks shouldn't do business with people who are involved in the firearms industry. I've had credit card processors refuse to, to, to process credit card payments to me as a firearms instructor who teaches firearm safety, who sells a book on firearm safety. Gun safety and cleaning for dummies, by the way, you can find it at tactical-firearms.com. But they won't, don't, they won't do business with me because I have something to do with the firearms industry. So this coding is all about choking off the firearm industry through financial institutions. That's what it's about. But, Buzz, what, what you're talking about is the fact that um, several attorneys general have actually written a letter. This is dated September of last year to this, to several uh, major banks, American Express, MasterCard, and Visa. They wrote them a letter that said, we understand that you're perhaps moving forward with using this new coding system created by the International Organization for Standardization at the behest of gun control proponents. We urge you not to do it. And if you do, we will look to potentially take action against you. And yes, this letter, um, in fact, I just pulled it up while I'm talking, September 20th, 2022, was signed by, including several other attorneys general, Todd Rokita, Indiana Attorney General. So that's what's going on. Now, will somebody get sued over this? Will there be litigation? That's all the next steps. But in the meantime, at least the shot has been made across the bow to say this is something that attorneys general are taking a look at, and we will not allow financial institutions to jeopardize the constitutional rights of citizens in these various states. I think it was 21 attorneys general who signed this thing. But that's what's going on, and there's going to be much more to follow on that. 
uh, as this thing goes forward. In the meantime, we're a little past the three-quarter hour. We're taking a break. We'll come back. We'll go back to the phone lines uh, when we come back. If you're on on hold, please be patient. We're going to get to you. We're going to get to all our callers. we got a whole hour plus of the show. Um, so I really appreciate your patience. We will get to you here eventually. Join the discussion, 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back. I'll tell you, we've got a very short segment, uh, a little more than two minutes, uh, but I've got a whole bunch of people holding. And I'll tell you what, Joe's been holding the longest at this point. Uh, Joe, welcome to the Gun Guy Show, man. We got for us. Hi, hi, guy. I've been listening for your show, well, uh, listening that. to your show for a long time. Um, so my question is: My wife is not a U.S. citizen. She actually just got her green card, but she's technically a, nas- a Chinese national. Uh-huh. But she has shown a lot of interest in guns, and my question was if she could buy one. Yes. If she's allowed to. Yeah, she's a permanent resident, meaning she has her green card, and so if she's a permanent resident, she can lawfully buy a gun. Uh, if you're not a U.S. citizen or a permanent resident, then um, generally speaking, you can't purchase a firearm or possess a firearm, but there are even exceptions to that. Um, the most common with a lot of people here are on non-immigrant student visas, and they cannot purchase a firearm. But one of the exceptions to that law, Joe, interesting enough, is that if the law says if they're engaged in a lawful hunting activity, they can possess a gun. Well, that's been interpreted to say here in Indiana that if they go get a, a, a hunting license, they can then, even though otherwise, as a non-U.S. citizen and non-permanent resident, that otherwise they couldn't purchase or possess a firearm with a with a hunting license they can't and it's interesting you go down to the gun stores again i'll be you know at, at a place like pinnacle firearms my buddies in carmel and somebody comes in there and they say hey i'm here on a visa but i have my hunting license yes they can buy a gun but more importantly in, in answer to your question a permanent resident somebody with a green card can possess and buy a gun now the key is going to be if the people at the gun store fully understand what the law is but that's the answer so I'll tell you what, we're coming up on the top of the hour, so we're taking a break. we got a bunch more people on hold, people with some really good questions based on what they've told producer Carl. So I'm going to get it, we're going to, going to want to get to all those calls, and then we'll get to some other topics of interest for gun owners here in Indiana and beyond. Right now we're taking a break. We'll be right back for hour number two. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in Central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. And welcome back to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're excited you're with us. And I'll tell you what, we've already had some awesome callers. 
and uh, got several people on hold. I'm going to go right back to the phone lines, man. I, you know what? My show started uh, after I just was a fill-in right off the street on a weekend show, and uh, one of the other hosts here had me in for what they called Ask the Gun Lawyer. He just thought that'd be interesting after the Indy Star ran an article on just me and, and the nature of my practice being limited to gun-related issues, my law practice. And uh, and that went over really well. We had a bunch of callers, and they invited me back a month or so later, and we did it again, and then they offered me my own show. That was eight years ago, Carl. You believe that? I, I still feel like a rookie around here, but we've been doing this a little while now. So we're going to go right back to the phone lines. Bruce has called in. Been on hold for a long damn time, Bruce, man. Thanks for your patience. Uh, what's your question? Hey, guy. Hope you're well. I am. Um, Thank you. I've got a question for you relative to the DNR. You know, it's, it's yeah. the weather's getting nicer, the parks, you know, you go to the parks. Um, I just wonder what the concealed carry laws are in the parks in Indiana. I did look up something in Brown County, and I think it said, and maybe I'm wrong, but like in a building, like if you go to the lodge down there or something like that, if they've got federal employees, you're not allowed to have a firearm in there. Hmm. I'm not sure about that, but I'm just worried about gotcha laws. Yeah, well, and you're wise because there are enough gotcha laws out there, Bruce, to, and we should be concerned about them. But, no, you can have uh, a, a, a firearm, a handgun in a state park in Indiana. But get this, um, the DNR regulation says you can have a gun in a state park um, with a Indiana handgun license. And when we were fighting for constitutional carry last year, uh, there was some discussion with the DNR to say, hey, if we pass constitutional carry, you ought to amend the DNR regulation to say the same thing. Meaning, unless you're a prohibited possessor, you can carry a handgun if you're at least 18 in a state park. We didn't get that done. And since that's a DNR reg, not a state law, we couldn't change it as part of the constitutional carry statute that's at the state level um, in terms of an actual law. So that still says... With an Indiana license to carry handgun, you could have a gun in a state park. Now, your point about federal facilities, that's absolutely true. A a building or part thereof that's owned or managed by the federal government where federal employees are regularly present in the performance of their job responsibilities. That Okay, that's off the top of my head, but I think that's 100% accurate. Um, a federal facility that meets that definition, you cannot have a gun in there. I don't know of any federal facilities in state parks except, and I covered this in my gun law class, um, any uh, reservoirs or lakes that are owned by the Army Corps of Engineers are considered federal, and you can't have a gun on the lake or the reservoir that are uh, owned by the Army Corps. And I give a list of what all those, there's a bunch of them. Like here close to us, there's uh, Monroe down by Bloomington. There's uh, Raccoon uh, out west, which actually is called Cecil M. Harden is the official name of it. And several others, a bunch of them. Brookville, those are owned by the Army Corps of Engineers. So actually on the lake, uh, which is owned by the Army Corps of Engineers, that's federal, you can have a gun there. But to answer your question, generally speaking, with a license to carry, you can have a gun in a state park, a handgun. Interestingly enough, you know, it, I always talk about constitutional carry. And I go, look, there are a couple of reasons where even though we have constitutional carry, you still should get a license if you want to carry a handgun. One is the state park issue because you still need a license to lawfully carry in a state park. Another one is the Federal Gun-Free School Zones Act. Now, I'm not talking about the state law. That's completely different. We have to comply with both. And 
state law does not have this exception. But if you, you can't have a gun in a school zone as defined by federal law, and that includes within a thousand feet of school property. That's the federal law. Indiana law just deals with the state property or the school property itself, I should say. Federal law says anywhere within a thousand feet of, of a school. But there's a big exception to the federal law, and this exception does not exist under state law, so don't go carrying your handgun into your kid's school t- next week, because the exception under federal law is if you have a license to carry. If you're licensed to possess a firearm by the state in which the school is located, then you're not subject to the federal Gun-Free School Zones Act. So if you're within 1,000 feet of a school, and there's several other exceptions. You're on private property, not a part of the school. There are several others. But the federal law says if you have a handgun, like if you're licensed by the state. So that's why in the constitutional carry law, we made it very clear that that if you have a license, even though a license is no longer required in Indiana, in Indiana, you are still licensed by the state to possess that firearm, to carry that firearm. That's because of the federal gun-free school zones act. We wanted to cover that. If you're relying on constitutional carry, you don't have a license then you got to be worried about the federal gun-free school zones act, which applies to, to not only school property, but anywhere within a thousand feet of, of a school with some exceptions. Um, but yeah, the state park, uh, you're good to go with a license. Let's go back to the phone lines and LD. Am I getting that right? LD. I'm liking the name. Uh, welcome to the gun guy show. Thank you, uh, Guy, for taking my call. Uh, just recently, my uh, grandson graduated from school, and uh, he's moving to New Hampshire. Uh-huh. And between here and New Hampshire, there's a couple states that I know of that's pretty tough on gun laws. Uh, now, he has a Browning over and under scat, trap and skeet gun. It's already in a case broken down. He has a 1100, Remington 1100, that's had a butt plate modified for trap shooting. And he has a Springfield 9mm handgun. It's a 10 round capacity. So um, I, I'm, I'm wondering what. what what you can tell me on this, what, yeah, what to do. The, the thing to check out there um, is uh, what's called the Firearm Owners Protection Act of 1986. And thanks for your call, by the way, and thanks for your patience uh, in holding. And I'm going to get to everybody else on hold, I'm telling you right now. Um, but uh, the thing to check out is the Federal Firearm Owners Protection Act. And if you want to just Google this, it's at 18 U.S.C. 926A. And it talks about interstate transportation of firearms. And this is a lot of times you'll hear people call this the safe transport or the safe harbor provision of FOPA, the Federal uh, Firearm Owners Protection Act. And what this says, and I just pulled it up here since getting your, your question, it says, notwithstanding any other provision of any law or any rule or regulation of a state or any political subdivision thereof, so that means counties, cities, towns, any person who is not otherwise prohibited by this chapter, so that means you're not prohibited by federal law from possessing a gun, not otherwise prohibited by this chapter from transporting, shipping, or receiving a firearm, shall be entitled to transport a firearm for any lawful purpose from any place 
where he may lawfully possess and carry such firearm to any place where he may lawfully possess and carry such firearm. If such transportation, if during such transportation, the firearm is unloaded and neither the firearm nor any ammunition being transported is readily accessible or directly accessible from the passenger compartment of the transporting vehicle, provided that in the case of a vehicle without a compartment separate from the driver's compartment, the firearm or ammunition shall be contained in a locked container other than the glove compartment, glove compartment or console. So what's that? What's that? And by the way, New Hampshire does recognize the Indiana license to carry. So for the handgun, the Springfield, if he has a license here, then he can possess his, his, his handgun here and he can possess it um, where he's going. That's a requirement of the FOPA safe transport rule. He just needs to make sure for all the firearms, they're unloaded. If he's got a trunk, you want them unloaded and in the trunk. If he doesn't have a truck, if he's got a van or a pickup truck or an SUV that doesn't have a separate compartment like a trunk, then they need to be in locked, both firearm and, and ammunition. He needs to be in a locked container. And I would put it as far away from him in the van, truck, whatever it might be, as he can get it. Locked container, not just a container, locked container, other than the glove compartment or console. So now, that's a federal law. Do I expect every... State cop, every local county sheriff, every law enforcement officer from here to New Hampshire to understand this federal law? No. When I've done this and I've, when I've relied on it, I actually print a copy of it. Again, go to 18 U.S.C. 926A, print a copy of it. And, I, and I, you know what I've done? It may sound goofy to you. I've printed it and I've put it right in the gun case with my gun. So if a cop finds my gun, wherever it might, and I'm complying with 100%, lock container, whatever it takes, if they find my gun, they're going to find a copy of that damn statute. They may not believe it. They may not understand it. But by God, they're going to have it right there in front of them where I can go, this is legal under federal law. And this is a place where federal law does preempt state law. If, if some Illinois cop, I know he's going the other direction, but New York says, oh, no, well, New York law is New York law. Nope. Federal law says this is legal. You can't make it illegal. Now, could he still go to jail? Could he still get hassled? Could it end up in you know years of litigation? Yeah, sure, that all can happen. So I'm not cavalier about this. But the law says, and federal law says, you can safely and legally do this if you comply with those requirements of the Federal Firearm Owners Protection Act. Thanks for your call, man. Appreciate your patience. We're uh, going to take a break. We'll be right back. we got several other people on hold. We'll go right back to the phone lines. Man, awesome callers tonight. Really good questions and a lot of good information, I think, coming out from the great questions that our people are, are asking. So we'll go back to the phone lines and then transition to some other subjects. Join the discussion, man. Great callers. 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. 
Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. I'll tell you what, we've had two callers, Steve and Dave, been on hold for a damn long time. I'll get to both of them, but Steve's been on the longest, as between those two. Steve, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hey, how you doing, Mr. Relford? Good, man. You doing all right? It's just Guy, man. Yeah. Sorry. I'm old school. <laughs> no, um, I like it. I got a couple questions. I talked to you last summer. Um, I'm almost eight years removed from a felony for OWI. Okay. Um, we discussed, uh, possibly the 2A, but in the meantime, I've moved to outside of Bloomington. I own three and a half, almost four acres. Um, my wife has got her concealed carry permit through the state. Um, I'm wondering, A, is it okay? Cause I don't touch or get her anywhere close to her guns. Uh, she's got a big compact and a shotgun. Um, is she able to target shoot if I build a range on our property? Uh, or is her brother-in-law, my, my brother-in-law, is he allowed to come down and take target practice on the property with me being a felon? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, Steve, and I'm glad you called. And thanks again for your patience uh, and being on hold for no a long time. But, yeah, no, I mean, she she faces no peril. She's not in jeopardy of being in trouble for anything by having firearms on the property or for, you know, and again, it's cool you have that acreage and um, if you can construct a, you know, a safe place to shoot with an appropriate backstop and whatnot, I'm sure um, you're way ahead of me on that. But yeah, she can absolutely do that and do that legally. Let's say there's a noise complaint and the cops show up or, you know, you just have a neighbor that hates guns or whatever. I don't assume that's the case for a minute, but just hypothetically, um, the the real only issue, really, Steve, is for you, which is to make sure. And you said you'd never touch the gun. That's part of your question, um, but but that's not all you have to worry about because there's something called constructive possession. In fact, Dave, who's been on hold forever, wants to talk about stabilizing braces. Also has a question about constructive possession. But constructive possession is where you don't have actual possession of something that's illegal. Could be drugs. In this case, of a firearm, um, where you can't yet. Uh, possess firearms. Uh, now, when you hit that eight-year anniversary on that felony OWI, man, give me a call. We'll get that sucker expunged for you, and we'll restore your gun rights. Uh, but in the meantime, you can't possess firearms, as you know. Um, but there's also so, something called constructive possession, and that is where you don't have actual possession. So it's not in your hand. You know, it's not in your pocket. It's not in a backpack that you're carrying. But you have access to it. And the state can prove that you had the intent and the capacity to exercise what they call dominion and control. In other words, dominion and control really mean the same thing. But you know, if you've got to talk legal stuff, you've got to include as many words as possible. But you have, the, you have both the intent and the capacity to, to take control of that firearm. So, for instance, let's say your wife comes in from shooting out on your property. She sets a gun down on the nightstand, and she goes to the grocery store. And that's when the cops show up. There's another part of constructive possession, which is if you have exclusive control over the premises 
where the firearm is located, then your intent and capacity to exercise control over that firearm are assumed. They can be inferred in the language of, the, of those cases. So cops show up. There's a gun on the nightstand. You say, oh, no, that's not my gun. I've never touched that gun. Your wife's not there. There's a gun in the house. You're the only one there. They can say, you possess that firearm. So what I tell people, and I don't know that it's completely foolproof, but it's pretty damn safe. I tell people, hey, you know, if, if one person in the household cannot possess a firearm, the other one can, get a, get a, a safe that is programmed only for fingerprints. And a lot of them have backup keys, so you want to make sure you don't have access to the key. But let's say that 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 safe is programmed only for her fingerprints, not yours. You could show a cop all day long, look, here's all 10 of my fingers. None of them work. Here's my toes, man. Those don't work either. I can't get into this damn safe. And then your wife walks up. Yep, look, here's my, here's my, my, my finger pops right open. That's going to be pretty safe because it's locked up. You you don't have either the ability or the intent to control that firearm. So, but that that's what you got to worry about. It's not her getting in trouble. It's you potentially getting in trouble, especially especially on some kind of an argument that yes, you didn't have actual possession, but you had constructive possession of a firearm on the premises. And you know, four acres is nice. It's huge. I wish I had four acres, but it's not so so big that you couldn't potentially get a, a noise complaint or you know some some neighbor. Uh, just wanting to whine about hearing gunshots. Now all of a sudden the cops come out. Now you got a bigger issue, and I and I've seen exactly that happen. I've defended that case, so it's a it's a real concern. But I'm looking forward. You say it's almost been eight years. Hey man, you hit that eight year anniversary. As I said, uh, we'll get that taken care of for you, so you don't have to worry about that anymore. And I'd be happy to help. Dave, finally, man, you've been on hold forever, and I really appreciate your patience. Hello, guy. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Uh, my question is with the Short-barreled rifles come up with the stabilizing braces. Yep. I have decided that it is not with, in my interest that I want to file a Form 1. So yep. what I did was I got a regular buffer tube and replaced the stabilizing brace with that. But I'm concerned about constructive possession. Can I still keep that old stabilizing brace? Because it can be put on a rifle as long as yep. I have it separated. Yeah, well, here's what the ATF in their Q&A on the, this ridiculously stupid stabilizing brace rule that came out with in January. Um, what it says is that you're legal if you take off the stabilizing brace so you only have a standard buffer tube, and the buffer tube can't have any, uh, it, can't, it can't be lengthened in any way, it can't have any increased surface area to increase the, uh, the ability to shoulder it. Um, but if you just have a standard buffer tube, and then according to the ATF Q&A that came, came out the same time as the new rule, it said if you take off the stabilizing brace, and it, they say, and, and permanently alter the stabilizing brace so it cannot be reattached, and that, that, will, that will save you from constructive possession. Listen, the, the ATF hasn't won, the government hasn't won a, a constructive possession case on just having the parts for an NFA item in, I don't know, 25, 30 years. I mean, it's been forever. Um, there, there was a kit. I think it involved the Smith Contender rifle, if I want to, if, if I remember correctly. Thompson Center. Yeah, there you go. Thompson Center. Exactly right. And there was a case went all the way up Supreme Court on that, and they said no, because you can put this together in a way that's completely legal with these same parts that come in the kit. 
and it was Thompson contender, great catch. I appreciate that. Um, then it's stupid to, to rely on constructive possession just because it's somehow possible to put it together in an illegal way. It's just as possible to put it together in a legal way. You, can, you don't send somebody to prison for 10 years over that. So, again, you want to be completely sure, you know, permanently alter it or get rid of it. Um, but in the meantime, the ATF is saying you, you might be looking at constructive possession if you, if you don't do either of those, that is, get rid of it or permanently alter it. Uh, but they haven't won that case in a really long time. If it were me, I, I mean, I hate braces. and I w- I've always thought they were a dumb compromise. I get it. You save 200 bucks. I get you save your registration, and, and that's a big deal to a lot of people. I've got plenty of firearms the government knows about. I've got firearms the government doesn't know about. And that's just fine. That's the way I like it. So I respect anybody, no matter how you want to come down on that. Um, but if it were me, I, I, I'd either get rid of it. Um, uh, well, that's what I do. I just I, I take it off and get rid of it. If if the rule gets set aside in the courts or otherwise, um, or we have Congress actually find its brain and rescind it, if we ever get Republican control of the House, um, then hey, you know, is they're not that expensive. You buy another one. Um, but I also, if I just had it detached and in another part of the house, um, would I be sweating over that, that I'm going to jail for constructive possession? No, because it's a weak argument, particularly, as you said, Dave, if you've got other firearms, that same brace can go on. So you can say, no, I just kept it around because I might want to put it. Now, if it's a rifle that already has a stock on it, it kind of defies logic to say I'd want to take a stock off and put a brace on it. You're taking a real stock off and putting a fake brace on it. Kind of in my mind, again, I'm not a fan of braces. Um, But it's an argument, and uh, I wouldn't sweat over it too much one way or the other. Um, But again, just to be completely safe, you want to permanently alter it once you take it off or get rid of it. Uh, We're a little past the bottom of the hour. We've got other people on hold, man. We're going to come right back and go to the phone lines. We have great questions. Again, I love it when we get questions um, that I think the answers are of broad interest to a lot of people. That, to me, is the the most fun part and informative part of the Gun Guy Show. So I really love the callers, and we've had fabulous callers so far. Let's keep it up. We've got more people on hold. We'll go back to the phone lines when we come back. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. By the way, I had a, a private message on Facebook asked me about uh, our flag being missing for the first hour of our show. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Uh, is right. I mean, 10 seconds before we're going on air, uh, the, the, the flag became unattached at one end, and it was drooping down in a way that I don't think befits uh, the glory of our beautiful American flag, and it needs to be right in my mind, and we need to at all times uh, be compliant with the flag code in terms of how it's displayed. Um, so I took it down uh, and uh, gently folded it and uh, and and kept it uh, in the state it needed to be in until we got to the end of the first hour, and producer Carl then, in his heroic fashion, ran over and uh, got it back up the way we like it. We had a flag malfunction. Yeah, we had a flag malfunction. That's, you know, that's a really good point. Uh, like the infamous uh, wardrobe malfunction. And very similar, actually, yeah. to, uh, as far as what actually happened. Um, but we got it fixed, and we like the flag, and uh, and that it's right where it needs to be. Um, but in the meantime, let's go back to the uh, phone lines, because we've had just some fabulous callers. And uh, Joe has called in. Joe, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hi, uh Hi, right, guy. I had a question about 
uh, what you were discussing earlier about the credit card code. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't really apply to me because I buy my guns cash and I really trust them anyway. But mm-hmm. if you go to Rural King, they sell a lot of guns. Yeah, How do they, they do. know you're buying a gun at Rural King as opposed to, you know, a, a dedicated gun store? Products. Right, exactly. So how does that work on the, their credit card coding? Well, that's a really good question, Joe. And I'm not sure we know yet. And by the way, thanks for calling the Gun Guy Show and thanks for your patience. I'm not sure we know yet. You know, this is all pretty new. The way it was announced publicly is that there was going to be a code for gun stores, not what you're buying just by virtue of the fact you made a purchase at a gun store. And, and you're completely right about Rural King. But there are a lot of other places like that, you know, big boxes that also happen to sell guns, Cabela's and, and others. And, uh, hell, Walmart used to sell a lot of guns, although they've kind of turned their back on, on American gun owners as far as I'm concerned. But um, so it's gonna, it works the same way. I, I, don't, I think that will just show retail and not necessarily say gun store. However, do I trust the credit card companies? And if the credit card companies can identify what you purchased, do I do I think that, that they would be above singling out your purchase uh, of a firearm at something like Rural King and somehow identifying that and keeping a record of that, sharing that with federal authorities? I don't trust them half as far as I can throw them. So... Um, I, I would not put it past any of them. But the way it was announced, Joe, is that there's simply going to be a code for dedicated gun stores, you know, FFLs that have uh, their primary business uh, in selling firearms. Again, they sell a lot of other stuff. That's why I made I gave the example of buying a safe. Just because I spent X amount of dollars at a, at a gun store doesn't mean I bought a gun. And even if I did, who the hell's business is this at? Why does that need to be reported? The whole thing is offensive. And they did well, we can track suspicious purchases. Identify a potential mass shooter. All you know is Guy Relford spent $2,000. You don't know what the hell I bought it. I bought with it. It's the dumbest thing ever. Um, but so, it, 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 you know, it, it, Grandpa Relford used, used to say, Grandpa Relford had a lot of very wise old country sayings, but one of them is, just because you're paranoid don't mean they ain't out to get you. <laughs> Producer Carl likes that one. And I couldn't, I, I could not believe in that particular country wisdom anymore um, when it comes to firearms and, and the federal government and big banks, many of whom have already openly displayed their hostility toward gun owners and the Second Amendment. Let's go back to the phone lines. We've got Greg. Greg, well, thanks, thanks for your patience, too, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Sure. Um, I'm interested in what it takes to become a firearm instructor, what kind of uh, training you have to go through, and if there is more of a demand for firearm instructors in the past few years, thanks to all the people that have bought guns, the new gun owners. Yeah, two great questions, Greg, and thanks again for calling, and, and, and again, thanks for your patience. But, um, well, interesting, you know, I, I've been a quote-unquote certified firearms instructor for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. Um, I got certified through NRA. I became uh, an NRA instructor. There's, there's a class. I think it's eight hours. And again, I, this could have all changed since I did it because uh, it's been a damn long time. Plus, my memory is becoming faulty in my old age. But um, I, I, as I recall, I had to take an eight-hour class to just get my instructor certification. And then for any discipline I wanted to teach, like pistol or rifle or shotgun, 
There was a separate one for home firearm safety. There was another one for a more advanced course called personal protection in the home. There was another one for personal protection outside the home. Any of those additional courses I wanted to teach, I had to go get certified to teach those particular NRA courses. Now, to answer your question, what does it take? What's required to become a firearms instructor? There's nothing legally required. You could walk out today and say, hey, I'm Greg and a firearms instructor. Come take classes and pay me money. Um, the, the state doesn't require any kind of licensure uh, or other educational requirement. And and you, we, we, you can say that's horrible. You can say it's fine. Uh, but that that that's the simple truth. People can get certified through NRA, become an NRA instructor. I, I got to tell you, and, and look, I, I'm a, as you probably hear me say, I'm a benefactor level life member of NRA. I've given them a lot of money over the years, and I've taught thousands, maybe at this point tens of thousands of people in NRA classes. Um, but I was not particularly impressed with the level of training I needed to go through to become an NRA instructor. That's why a lot of people who are very serious about firearms training kind of laugh or at least roll their eyes when you tell them you're an NRA instructor because they know it doesn't take very much to become one. I mean, an eight-hour course to become a basic instructor and another eight-hour course to be a pistol instructor, and now I'm going to be a professional instructor. And that's why there are a lot of really lousy instructors out there, because they're really not very well trained. I think that initial certification is actually what got me interested in training, and that's why you hear me talk about the training courses I go to all the time, because every course I take, the more I realize the more it is I, I both need to learn uh, myself uh, as well as as how I become a better instructor. And, but there are other certifications. USCCA has, I think, some really good certification programs for their USCCA instructors. That's the U.S. Concealed Carry Association, and there's others. But but I really think that, like, for instance, if you go through the, if you go the NRA route, and again, no disrespect to the other NRA instructors out there, the ones I know and respect, I believe, will completely agree with me, is it's not really very impressive. I mean, you hear it here when our, in our, during our rejoins. You know, we play some music, and then you hear Guy Rolford, he's a certified NRA instructor. And I guarantee you there are people listening to the show who are really serious about training who roll their eyes a little bit and go, oh, wow, that's impressive. That's 16 whole hours of training, guy. And, and, and I agree with that. I agree with it completely. Um, yes, I'm a certified instructor. It didn't take much. And that's why, uh, to me, that was just like opening a door. Um, and it's what you do on the other side of that door that I think makes you a good instructor or not. A lot of people are really good at doing and can't teach. Uh, a lot of people can't shoot to save their lives, but for whatever reason, they're good teachers. Um, although I don't know a lot of those. <laughs> but, but the point is, um, it doesn't take much to become an instructor, but I think to become a good instructor, it basically takes a lifetime of dedication and instruction. And I, I, that's what I've tried uh, to accomplish myself, and it's the reason I go to classes all the time. I took a five-day class at Gunsight late last fall uh, before the end of the year, and I can't wait to go back, and I want to take several. I, I think I took four, five different training courses, multi-day training courses last year. That's a guy who's been an instructor for 30 years. So anyway, that's my thought on that. Let's take a break. There are, I think, just one. There is just one caller I haven't gotten to. Uh, we'll get to Shad when we come back and then wrap up this edition of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WYBC. And welcome back for the last... Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. 
Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details segment here of the gun guy show here this evening and i'll tell you what shad has called in which uh with what i think is a really important question and something that i uh i'm spending a lot of time on these days uh but shad first of all thanks man thanks for calling the uh, gun guy show hey no no problem guy so what you got um i got in some trouble a long time ago in my 20s i had my Record expunged in 2017, had it redone in 18 to add in that U.S. federal code that you're supposed to have. I've been deemed a proper person, um, tried to pur- purchase firearms, have been denied numerous times, even filed an appeal, and that appeal took four years to still be denied. What do I do? Well, I'm working hard on this, buddy, and let me tell you, I feel your frustration uh, because I have expungement clients that uh, call me all the time where I will have done their expungement, and I do a lot of expungements. I enjoy doing them, and let me tell you, I know exactly. I teach other lawyers how to do expungements, and I teach them the language that needs to go in the order to make sure people's rights are are restored, and and your rights are restored by operation of statute, and, and that's very clear, and so your rights, I'm sure, have been restored the only the the only crimes where if you get an expungement your rights aren't restored are crimes of domestic violence and if it's not a crime of domestic violence then your rights have been restored the problem buddy is that uh the federal government can't get its head out of its posterior on this issue and here's what happened and 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 i've only got about a minute but i'll do the the reader's digest version of this and that is indiana's original expungement statute was deemed to be insufficient by the federal government to restore rights in 2014. 2015, and I was involved in this, we amended the statute to make it very clear rights are restored. After that, we had we had interaction with the Department of Justice and the FBI to make it very clear, and they agreed, you're right, an expungement under Indiana's expungement statute does restore gun rights. And we cruised along pretty well for a couple of years, starting about when you're talking about a couple of years ago, the federal government, somehow, literally, a new guy came in with responsibility for reviewing state law and deciding things like, oh, does the Indiana expungement statute restore gun rights? And decided it didn't, completely contrary to what the DOJ had already established, and sent out memos within NICS, the people who do the background check when you're trying to buy a gun. And we had to go through a process where we actually got the Indiana Attorney General to write an opinion to convince them it does. So I'm in ongoing discussions with them. We're going to get it fixed, so have a little patience. In the meantime, uh, that's the end of this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you come back next week. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.